You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses add value and prepare for the future. Hello and welcome to the Trowers and Knight Frank podcast series. My name is Matt Holbrook. I'm a uh, partner at, um, in the real estate practice at, here at Trowers and Hamlins. And I'm very delighted to be joined today by Stephen Springham of Knight Frank uh, for a very brief chat about uh, the future of retail. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Matt. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Very pleased to be along to talk about retail. Okay, great. Uh, so it's really opportune time to have a chat about this given everything that's happened, not only in the last year, but uh, in, in the relatively recent past as well. So I thought it'd be useful just to have a kind of chat on where did retail go wrong or where did it go right? And how do we get to the situation that we're in at the moment? I mean, the probably the where, where to start, really. Uh, I mean, obviously, the last six months have been unprecedented and maybe best to just park COVID-19 for a minute. Um, hmm forget about it I'm, I'm sure many of us would like to but ignoring it for one moment i mean the 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 irony about retail the retail sector was it obviously came into this with with pre-existing conditions i mean it wasn't the high street wasn't in the rudest of health before this this all kicked off so i mean trying to understand you know how how it got to this i mean we've done quite a lot of work in the past i mean we did a whole whole body of work rather poetically called the price of change which was effectively saying you know rather more prosaically, what's gone wrong. You know, we identified sort of 10 structural failings of, of the retail market. Um, I won't go through each and every one of those, but to pick out some of the key ones, um, oversupply, uh, we've got too much retail floor space in this country, um, too many shops. Um, retailers overexpanded, have taken on too many, many stores. They haven't really been good enough at, at, at managing what I call the ugly tail. So underperforming stores, they've just sort of kept on with those rather than than weed them out really. Um, cost inflation, both on the property side and generally, has has been an issue. Costs have grown at a faster rate than sales. Um, haven't mentioned online. I mean, that's the, the normally the go-to reason most people look for retail malaise. Yes, it's one of the, the ten structural failings we identify, but you know, it's not alone. I think if you if you look exclusively of uh, at the rise of online as as the failure of for the failure of retail, um, you're glossing over a lot of the other issues. So. You know, what I'm saying probably in a, a very long-winded way is, you know, there are a whole host of, 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 of issues that have basically dogged the retail sector. And, and these have these have finally come home to roost. So this was before COVID-19 came along and and amplified everything to 11 on, on the scale. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this that's where we're at, really. OK, so some real yeah, structural issues uh, with retail. Um, you touched on a, obviously on a few of those there. Are there some easy solutions, do you think, for the sector, both landlord and tenant side? I think, you know, there are there are some quick wins, but I think, you know, retail salvation needs to be more long term than that. I mean, you know, there are certain things. I mean, little things, well, I'll say little things, but they're, they're, they're quite major things. So something like business rates is 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 does dominate the retail narrative. And Yes, there is a lot of work to be done there. Obviously, we're on a business rates holiday this year, which has eased some of the pressure, um, not all of the pressure by any means, but little things like that can go a long way. But, you know, you really have to see sort of the bigger picture, really, insofar as, you know, just reform to the business rate system isn't going to cure 
all retail's ills in one go. So I think it's it's looking at a whole host. Yeah, you know, I think you have to look at the, the whole retail sector holistically. Specific things like business rates are one thing, but more generally, I think retailers and landlords need to collaborate rather than than, yeah. than be at loggerheads with each other. And I'd like to say it's happening. Some people say it is, but you know, at the same time, we're seeing a lot of CVAs and, and a lot of negativity around retail and landlord uh, relationships. Yeah, I think that collaboration point that you make there is a, a really interesting one. I think there's a, a couple of areas where I think landlords and tenants could probably work a little bit closer. Things like flexibility of the space, which would allow shops to move in and out of certain spaces in a in a scheme. That would in turn potentially reduce the the, the oversupply in certain yep. areas. Uh, and something that we're seeing quite a lot of at the moment is a, is a real drive towards turnover rents, which in theory would drive the collaboration between uh, between landlord and tenants because a, a well-performing tenant means more rent for the landlord. So are you seeing that at the moment? Um, we're definitely seeing a bit a big push towards it. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the current CVA inspired environment is is in part driving that i mean obviously this is very very topical insofar as new look uh, did their second cva last week yeah the terms of that are obviously that they're moving to turnover rents on around 400 stores but going back to what you said i think the operative term was in theory i think turnover rents on paper make perfect sense you know there's there's shared risk there's shared rewards there's closer collaboration there's transparency the practice is Anything but as, as simple as that, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, there's 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 a lot of residual mistrust between landlords and tenants. Obviously, retailing in the modern day and age is more than just what a store takes through the till. There's obviously the online element, um, and that can reduce transparency, muddy the water a lot. So, until there's sort of a full transparency and both sides are are playing ball, it's not a system that works um, quite as well as it probably should do. Yeah, I entirely agree from uh, certainly from my side of things, acting for both landlords and, and tenants there, trying to draft uh, turnover rent provisions where there is a, a drive towards transparency. It's, it's not always then followed and it potentially leads to disputes and uh, ill feeling between the between landlord and tenants. So something like a, a code of practice, I know that's something you've mentioned in the past uh, between yeah. landlord and tenants. I know that we've we've had that with the the code of practice for leasing whether there could be something built into there in the future it's what one to consider yeah no absolutely i mean i've been a bit negative on turnover rents but obviously there are instances where it works very well i mean the best examples really being um the factory outlet model i mean that's that's purely turnover rent um it's it's a very it's one of the more robust parts of retail at the moment um you know it's it's covid notwithstanding doing very well it's a very transparent system. You know, when retailers underperform, um, you know, landlords can can replace them with other operators. There never seems to be much dispute around that. I suppose the other example are transport hubs, which is obviously have obviously come under a lot of pressure during COVID, but generally the turnover rent model works there. Um, it's really a question of how we can make it work in other elements of retail. Um, uh, as you mentioned, you know, a code of practice would help the process i mean the, the real issue at the moment is trying to decide what a, to a store turns over um, yeah. i mean there's so many different numbers you could use and it's how you factor in online how you factor in returns i mean a lot of retailers you know will have online sales that are returned through good through store those returns are actually debited from the store so obviously this is 
going to introduce a lot of shades of grey into to what the turnover for that store is. And, and without a code of practice and you know some degree of, of audit, you're never going to have the transparency you need to, to make the model work. No. <clears throat> and then simply the the pure administration factor for both landlord and tenant to uh, police that and, and to follow it through. And that's even before you get into an audit. Uh, it's certainly a um, bits to consider when when maybe a flat rate rent is simpler all around yeah so, i mean it's it's something we'd like to see working uh, uh, in theory but the practice is, is is as you say it's just very messy so thinking about uh, some of the other points about solutions uh, we mentioned before about the flexibility of space are there areas where you've seen that work well where landlords have been able to offer really flexible space for um startups for example yeah i mean the whole it's an interesting one because you know this is a a clash of cultures because obviously landlords and the banks historically have always been against flexibility because obviously you know they want want guaranteed income for for the longest possible period but obviously this conflicts massively with retailers they want the watchword they always use is flexibility um in whatever shape or form so it means many different things. It means sort of shorter leases, and we've definitely seen that over the years. I mean, yeah, yep. people still talk about 25-year leases. I mean, they they just don't really exist anymore. We're looking probably 10 years on the high street these days, possibly with with multiple breaks. So, yeah, definitely, um, we're seeing greater flexibility. And obviously, if something isn't working, it's in the landlord's interest to to, to get another operator in who. Who could use that space more effectively and that that may be a pop-up again it's there are there are hurdles to overcome in terms of not least the valuation model how how can you model the sort of uh, or, or how can you value rather the sort of the flexible space the space that is not contracted for 10 15 years it's it's very difficult but yeah the re- the reality of modern day retailing is we need things to be a bit faster moving than maybe they've been in the past yeah and i think good example is what's happened in the sort of in the last six months is a real drive towards people wanting to use independent shops you know their local their local shops and whether you know, re- retail being run by retailers is much more of the the way to go for the future absolutely yeah. i mean i think the thing the thing about independent operators i mean i think in the past you know the banks have maybe taken a dim view on on independent operators or small operators because the covenant strength wasn't there um yeah. i mean that's slightly short-sighted because obviously every retailer the biggest retailers we we, we know tesco sainsbury's anyone you care to mention i mean they started somewhere you know, just as a one 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 store unit so you know we really need to nurture the next next breed of of of, of multiple retailers and that starts yeah. um, with independence yeah and the, and the independents tend to be invested in their own business and planning for the future uh, and perhaps ownership of some of the uh, larger brands uh, isn't always thinking about retail at its heart you know they've got yeah. they've got other, other considerations yeah absolutely and i think um obviously rental values have rebased massively over the the last well not just the last 6 months but the last sort of 2 to 3 years so from a, an independent operator's perspective now is as good a time as any to actually acquire retail space dare i say at a bit of a discount to to historic values so it now is obviously current market notwithstanding but yeah, yeah. generally this is this is a, a tenant's market a, a good time to yeah to maybe get into the into the market for, the, for that exact reason so so thinking about good examples then of of where where this has happened have you have you got 
any examples that you could think of where a redevelopment or a, a changing of the structure of the retail offering has, has worked really well? I mean, yes, I do have examples. I mean, I think, you know, the narrative generally is about repurposing retail. And I think it's a, it's a bit of a, I can see why people are talking about it. I can see why it's, it's dominating the narrative. But I think maybe people are getting slightly ahead of themselves. I mean, yes, retail does have its, its, its undeniable issues. Yes, one of those is it's chronically oversupplied. But I think the sort of narrative that it's easy just to sort of click your fingers or flick a switch and, and turn it to other uses it, it, it sort of underplays how complicated and how complex the process is. But to answer your, actually answer your question, three specific examples I can think of. Altrincham being one, um, the local authority took on the, the shopping centre. Altrincham is a, a town, great catchment. I mean, it's more, more your manner than, than it is mine, Matt, but it's it's a decent catchment, obviously. But obviously, you're not a million miles from a Trafford centre. Historically, Altrincham was trying to compete against a Trafford centre. It was a battle it was never going to win. So... Um, it's kind of gone down its own route. It's gone down sort of the community route, more independence, more F&B, maybe a de-emphasis on, on high street retailing. So, you know, I think that's as a town has been repositioned and, and by all accounts is much the better for it. The other two examples I could uh, mention are, you know, we, we recently sold the shopping centre in Edgware in, in North London. I mean, we sold it to, to Ballymore. So people immediately assume that, you know, they're just going to convert the whole 200,000 square foot shopping centre to residential. In reality, they're actually looking at mixed use. So a lot of the retail space will be retained. They'll probably get rid of some of the, the less good space. But obviously, it's a much more of a mixed use place. So, you know, retail, the role of retail within both Altrincham and Edgware will change, but it's not going to disappear completely. Just to finish on the third example, I was going to give my hometown of Guildford. The Debenhams there has, has, has been sold. Not entirely sure who to yet. It's still under offer, but it's a freestanding department store that, you know, there was a flurry of interest in from a whole host of uses, be they hotels, senior living, student accommodation, you name it really. So, it goes to show you yeah, the right asset in the right market does lend itself, but these aren't necessarily the, these may be the exceptions rather than the rule. Yeah, I mean, I think that a town centre is always going to be attractive to somebody, you know, good transport links and therefore good, good footfall. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the retail, as you've, as you've mentioned there, there's some really good examples of, of mixed use plans. And I think you you've got a desire for you know leisure offering school offering the education could certainly be repositioned into uh, into towns in that way so yeah definitely some positive options for the future yeah i think the, the thing is i mean people tend to be very binary in their think how many millions of times have we heard about the death of the high street i mean i've been doing retail now for 27 years i've i've heard it on a monthly basis for pretty much every one of those years. Um, I mean, I think people have to be realistic. The, you know, the UK retail sector has got huge, huge challenges. We're not, we're not shying away from that. But it's, it's a 380 billion pound industry. Online's got a, a share of that, but it's not a dominant share by any means. So, realistically, retail isn't going anywhere. But I think we need to change our attitude towards retail. I think it's quite a curious thing that we still think every town or city's got to be retail led and it doesn't got to think a lot less binary around this and and see retail as having a role it's defining what that role is and in certain locations it'll be much more of a supporting role than than it has been in the past but you know it's a role nonetheless well that that's that's brilliant Stephen and I think probably a, a good place to conclude uh, our podcast today so thanks very much for uh, for joining me and chatting that through that's been uh, very interesting thank you very much for having me
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.